Let's talk about being offended, shall we? And some of you are like, I'm already offended, Mark, that you're talking about this. Uh, but I wanted to uh, pop the cork on this uh, series uh, called No Offense. It's, it's one of these statements that we say either before or after we offend somebody. Isn't that, isn't that basically what that sentence is for? We think it's going to take the bite out, but it doesn't. No offense, but you look fat in that shirt. Okay, offense taken. Thank you very much. Right? Hey, mom, uh, their mom cooks way better than you do. No offense. Okay, it still hurts. Okay, son? All right? Yeah. Um, it's a funny little phrase that we think is going to soften things. But uh, offense is at the, the center of most of the strife that we experience in the world. Does everybody get that? When division has its beginnings, it starts with offense. Someone gets their feelings hurt. Someone disagrees. There's, there's a rift. And then all of a sudden it grows from there. Just like a little tear in your, you know, the knee of your jeans or something. Start small with a, just an offense, but it grows. Uh, this series is built on this simple premise. God wants us as his people, where possible, to be the least offensive and the hardest to offend people in the world. I'm going to say that again to you because we're going to be talking about it for four weeks. Okay? God intends, his desire is for his people, where possible, to be the least offensive and the hardest to offend. Now, I say where possible because our message is offensive to a lot of people. The Christian message is, a, is a, in the Bible, it's called a scandal. A scandal on is the Greek word. It's a stumbling block. And so some people aren't going to like what we uh, have to say. Uh, Jesus said, if, if they hated me, they will hate you. There's going to be offense. Just inherent in the Christian message is offense. Is everybody with me? Okay. So I'm not talking that we're never going to be offensive. And I'm not saying that we should never be offended. Is anybody here offended by sin and its effects in the world? Yeah, that ticks me off. I'm offended by that. So I'm not, don't, don't hear me say that I'm saying we're dispassionate, that, that we don't have standards, that um, we, we abandon our message and, and the things. that We're possible, though. Here's what I am saying. We're possible, even as we hold to those things that God asks us to hold to, we should seek in every situation that it is possible for us to, to be who we are without being instigators, offenders, uh, perpetuators of uh, peacelessness. The, the Bible talks a lot about peace, Okay. Could take you all all over the scriptures and and quote you know chapter and verse. One of my favorites. I use it all the time when I'm counseling folks or when I'm encouraging folks is is in Romans chapter twelve verse eighteen. It says this: "Where possible, as far as it's up to you." I love that you know, Paul writes that to the Romans. As far as it's up to you, where possible, as far as it's up to you, I want you to live peaceably with all people. What a verse! It just kind of congeals for us. Hey, this is our mission. We're not always going to see eye to eye with anybody. <laughs> but in those moments where we don't, bring peace. Be an agent of peace in life. Jesus gets up in front of a bunch of people on a hill, and he, he gives them these things called the Beatitudes. One of them was, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. That meek people are people who, even when they are offended, choose not to be offended, and they bring solution instead of uh, increased problems. He goes on later in that list and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. He is for us being the least offensive 
and the hardest to offend people in the world. There's lots of great books written on this. I'm reading one uh, currently. Uh, couldn't put it down. Have you ever picked up a book? You know, like, it, this, this, this author, his name is Brant Hansen. He's, he's funny. I like funny books. Does anybody else like funny books? This guy's sarcastic. I'm fluent. That's my second language. Anyway, uh, but, but he writes a lot about these ideas that I'm sharing with you through this series and encourage you to get that book and read it. Um, uh, it's called unoffendable, actually a, a, a literal English word. I didn't think it was. It's actually uh, read in my notes. It's got that line that says, this isn't a word. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in your word documents? It is a word. You don't care. All right. Uh, but in that book and in other books, this, this idea, this premise, uh, that we need to be peaceful, peaceable, um, uh, the least offensive and, and the hardest to offend. It, it all boils down to that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. And can we all agree? Listen, we're, we're in the church. We're, we're singing songs about him. Can we all agree uh, that it's the most amazing thing in the world that a God who created us and who we rebelled against and sinned against loved us enough to send his son to die for us so that we through faith in him might be reconciled to the Father and have life with him anew? Is anybody amazed by that? It's amazing grace, right? They should write that song. Someone should write that song, Amazing Grace. It would be a good one. But that's amazing, Okay. So we could sometimes think, okay, that's, that's the whole point of church is that we've been saved and Jesus is our Savior and Lord and all those things. But, but don't miss this in the, in, the, in the Christian story. We're not just here to receive what Jesus has given us on the cross and through his resurrection. We're here to become as Jesus is, to resemble him, to, to adopt his character in life. Not just because it's what's most pleasing to him and to the Father, but because it's what's most useful to him and to the Father in us carrying this message that the rest of the world needs to hear through us, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that you need him, that life with him is the best life. It's what you were created for. But here's, here's the dissonance that the church has given this message. We even profess this message and proclaim this message, but we do it in such a way that we're jerks while we're doing it, that we're self-righteous in proclaiming it that we're breakers of the peace. And again, I'm not saying that it's not gonna be something that people, you know, it's jarring for people when they hear the gospel. It's jarring for people to hear that they're sinners in need of a savior. It's, I'm not saying that we change the message. I'm saying we share it in the way that Jesus shared it, which was with compassion, with patience, with understanding. Jesus saved us so that we would act like him. And certainly, this is timely. I can't think of a time, 53 years old, if you were wondering, probably thought I was younger, appreciate that. <laughs> but in my 53 years, I can't remember a time in history where it's easier to be offended in life, okay? Now, we've just come through the last two and a half years where people got just out of joint over all kinds of stuff. There was a political you know, season cycle, there was a pandemic, come on, right? Uh, we are in an age where everybody's got several screens that are constantly uh, informing them and, 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 uh, and seeking to conform them to some position or some idea. We have uh, keyboards in our hands at all times or on our desks or whatever, and we can, without impunity, with, without repercussion, fire off our opinions on any article or statement and, 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 and decrease the peace by doing so. You know, back in the day, the phone was on the wall, right? The computer filled a room as big as a space shuttle, right? 
But now all of this stuff, our access to controversy, um, the ease with which we can react to it, (laughs) it's just timely. We need to talk about this increasingly more. I'm I'm preaching this sermon series, uh, planned it six months ago, uh, but I was reflecting on uh, the early days of COVID, and uh, I remember in, in one week, On one day, I opened two emails from two families in our church who left our church, okay? Angry, offended. First email, I can't believe that you would have us wear masks in a service. There is no faith in that. God is certainly uh, able to keep his children from disease. Uh, It is, in so many words, it is offensive to me that you would require, and, and essentially, call me when you lift the mask ban. But until then, we're going to find a church that believes in Jesus. That was the sentiment. Okay. Oh, good. You felt the same way I did, right? Open the next email. We are leaving your church. I can't believe you would gather the body of Christ in a season like this. You are, you you know, this is going to be a super spreader event every time you get together. You are killing people for the sake of uh, gathering in the name of Jesus. And we will not be a part. We will not be complicit. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I wrote him back. No, I didn't say that. Anyway, uh, I wanted to. Whoever, who's written the email? You write the whole thing and you're like, delete, right? The whole thing, right? (laughs) And I thought, man, we've got to, this is the body of Christ, abandoning the body of Christ. Over, and I get it. Listen, it was a stressful time. Still is. It's a stressful, it's a stressful world, right? But we got to do better at this. You know, the world is just looking for excuses not to listen to us, right? And when we act like these, you know, whatever, it, it just affirms their suspicions that the Christians are messed up. We are. You're right. <laughs> So we're going to spend some some time on this. We're going to start today. I'll start slow. Let's start with a couple things that I think we can all agree to. If you can agree to this next statement, raise your hand. We humans are easily offended. Does anybody agree with that? The human race has thin skin. We are easily offended. Uh, Sin has made us hyper self-aware. Isn't it it amazing to think that back in the garden we weren't self-aware? It was just us and God. I mean, we, you know, Adam and Eve understood that they were individuals and all that stuff, but they were so in tune with God and his spirit that they, they weren't concerned for themselves. It's only when sin came into the world that they uh, felt shame, that they felt self-awareness, that they, they saw self. And it, it started there, and, and it's been our plight as a, as a species to just be completely self-obsessed, not just self-aware. And so... But, you know, offense is just a part of it. We're hypersensitive and reactionary to the things that we think um, impinge on us or, or you know, uh, take away from us or threaten us or just, ooh, fired up about it. I was driving here yesterday to preach last night and uh, it happened, you know, it's happened multiple times. But there's this little corner over here. Uh, Victoria comes on to Parsons, and you can turn right on Clay. Does anybody know where I am? It's right there by the railroad tracks. There's like this much space and three lanes for you to figure out which way you're going. It's just a formula for offense, <laughs> right? 
Because people are going to be in the wrong lane as they're coming off of Victoria, and they're going to think, oh, I've got to get over here so I can turn right on Clay. It happened yesterday. This sweet woman puts her blinker on, does everything she can within her power to get to the lane she wants to, but the guy behind her was having none of it, and so she just kept going. <laughs> and the guy behind her lost his ever-loving mind. Just laid on the horn, like not the, you know, I see, it was just a, all the way around the corner, right on her tailgate, all halfway up clay. I'm looking in this thing in my rearview mirror and I'm like, bro, it's over. We heard you. And I thought to myself, how many times have I done that? I'm not going to say. But then I thought to myself, every time I did that, I forgot the other times where I was her and not him. Where I was the traffic idiot. Where I was the causer of the offense. I'm quick to lay on my horn and slow to remember the times when the horn was laid on for me. It's just who we are. Go to your Bibles. It's just all through the pages of that book. Sure, the first sin, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree, disobeyed. Second sin, it's their kids, Cain and Abel. They're making sacrifices, worship offerings to God. God accepts Abel's, he he denies Cain's. And and the effects of sin uh, landed in Cain's heart as offense. I was embarrassed, I was shamed, I was offended. And so where did the blame go? To his brother, who did nothing to him. And it grew so deep in his heart that he became murderous, fratricide. He killed his brother. And it started with offense. Move forward and in our scriptures, you get to the New Testament in Matthew 20. Now, here's the 12 disciples, okay? The guys that, that Jesus handpicked. It's like, you're my guy. There's 12 of them. And he's going to, as he dies and resurrects, he's going to leave and go and prepare a place for us. And it's going to be these 12 and some others who are following, but principally these 12 that he's going to build his church on, right? And these guys are just like the rest of us. They can't get past themselves and their self-interest and their self-promotion enough to remember that there's greater things at stake. In Matthew 20, the two disciples, James and John, their mom I don't know if they prompted her or if she just decided to do this on her own. But their mom goes to Jesus. This is in your Bibles. And says, hey, I know you're setting up your kingdom somewhere. There's probably going to be a room with some chairs, your throne. My guys need to be right and left. I need those guys in the best chairs. Can you do that for me, Jesus? Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. And the news gets out that that Mama Zebedee has gone to Jesus and made this request. And, And the rest of the disciples, you hear it? And it says right there in your Bibles, they took offense. They took offense. Why do those guys get the good chairs? I'm sure Pete's like, hey, I'm, I walked on water. I should get one of those, right? And they start discussing it, and Jesus enters into the room when they're having this discussion. And he does what he usually does with the disciples and with us. He's like, you guys, this is not the point. He gives them that famous uh, quote of his. He says, listen, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to die is a ransom for many. Don't you get that? In my kingdom, it's not about you. It's about our Father in heaven. It's about 
us pointing people to him and not arguing over seating arrangements. But fast forward 2,000 years and here we are. Human race, plagued with sin and self-interest and so susceptible to being offended. Humans are easily offended. Raise your hand if you agree with this one. Humans are often offensive. <laughs> some of you are like looking at someone being like, yeah. We are not just easily offended, we are offenders all the time. Again, goes back to our sin nature. People are jerks. Hi, you're a jerk. How's it going? It's in there, right? I mean, you're like, no, Mark, I'm singing the songs. I'm here at church. Yeah, but underneath all that, potential jerk waiting to come out. It's who you are. It's a part of who we were without Jesus, and by God's grace, we are becoming less like that, prayerfully, hopefully, and more like him. But it's still the possibility that you know, we will, in any given moment, have a bad day, a bad moment, and the jerk comes out. Humans are the worst. <laughs> Yay. And we can be offensive and, and not even try to be. Uh, this might surprise you. Your pastor does not score high on uh, relational uh, IQ stuff. I'm not apparently really great in being sensitive. Come on, I'll counsel you. Anyway, uh, uh, but these are apparently blind sides for me. I'll, I'll say things that I think are humorous and they'll be hurtful. I'll say things, you know, just uh, without, you know, uh, assessing, you know, their, their weight and, and they'll land on people and I'll find out after the fact that things that I have said have, have just, you know, hurt. And I'll be, I'll be just, I mean, in those situations, I can honestly say, I, I never mean any harm. And, and, and we've all done it. We've all said things without knowing that hurt people, Right. And it's just because it's just who we are. But then there are the times where I totally mean it. You know them, right? Like, like you, you live in, in families where you know the buttons. Okay, you're married to someone, you know the buttons. And if they hurt you, you know which button to push to hurt them back. You know where to go. You know what to say. And the sin nature that you are saved from, but that rears its ugly head, um, you know, pulls you in that direction. And the jerk comes out. <laughs> Sometimes we don't mean it. Sometimes we do. But it's just part of who we are. Paul reminded his friend Timothy, who was pastoring a church in a place called Ephesus. He wrote him a couple different letters. And in the second one, he speaks to him about how things are going to be in the end of days or the end of time. And just so we're clear, without going into a long dissertation about the end of time, once Jesus left to go to prepare a place for us, the, the, started, the, the clock started ticking. It, it was, we're in the end of time. Everybody gets that, right? It might not be uh, Tuesday. I'd be ready. I hope you are too. But, but whenever Jesus does come back, now, we're in this period in Scripture known as the end of days or the end of time. And, and this is how Paul describes humans in the end of time. He says, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappreciative, slanderous, uh, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And there's more, but that's enough. Is everybody picking up what Paul's putting down? That's a lot of descriptors. 
for us humans. Oftentimes when you get a list in the Bible, uh, not all the time, but sometimes, uh, uh, the, the first in the list is primary. So like when you read the, the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's two services in a row. I nailed the fruit. All right. But the first one is the most important one, some scholars would argue, because it's, it's love. It's like some people have said this about the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the basket that the rest of the fruit sit in because all of the other fruits are expressions of or, or results of love. I think that that could be argued for this list that Paul gives Timothy. If you go back to verse 2, do you see what it starts with? Here's our problem. We're lovers of self. I'll confess, I love me. I think I'm awesome. You're laughing. You think you're awesome. You wake up every morning figuring out how to best serve you on some level. What do I need to do today? What's going to bring me happiness and pleasure today? It's just a part of us. It's our nature. When sin gets a hold of that, it, it perverts that. It takes it way too far. In fact, we could start thinking, and this is where offense a lot of time comes in. Uh, I love me. You should love me as much as I love me. And if you don't love me, and if you don't look out for me, and if you don't provide for me the way I look out for me and provide for me, then we're going to have a problem. But all those other negative traits, lovers of money, so that I can provide for myself because I love me. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient. I, it's all about me. I love me. And you should love me. And if you don't, we're going to have problems. I was uh, preparing for this message, and I, I watched a video uh, by a guy named John Mark Comer. I think I'm saying that right. My buddy Keith sent it to me. And... Uh, um, just really enjoyed listening to his teaching. He was teaching a, a, a conference on leadership and the church, and so it wasn't one for one, but he talked about a book he read, which I found fascinating. It was by this guy named um, uh, Edward Friedman. He's a, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, because that's what they are. They're Jewish. Anyway, uh, uh, but he wrote a book in 1997 called The Failure of Nerve. Uh, he was a psychiatrist. He, he, he worked in a, a special focus of psychiatry called the family, make sure I get this right, family systems theory. And, and I don't know enough about it to, uh, you know, with any authority explain it to you, but it basically has to do with a family has a dynamic and everybody plays a role, right? And, and so emotionally and relationally, uh, we kind of, you know, just subvert or just succumb to who we are in our family, and, 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 and families oftentimes stay in dysfunction and, 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 and don't experience health until someone in, the, in, in that family set steps out of their role and looks at things differently and starts bringing something different to the mix. Are you with me? Something like that, okay? I haven't read the book. It's apparently really thick. I stay away from those. No, I'm just kidding. But Comer talked about Friedman's uh, cycle, vicious cycle of, uh, of unhealth, uh, uh, Friedman's uh, theory is this, basically in, in the West, things have progressed and are progressing in the day and age that we live in, uh, in ways that uh, are, you know, um, so rapidly accelerated, uh, we, we don't even recognize who we were, uh, you know, 50 years ago, 15 years ago. Things have just, and he, and he says, for the most part, technology, it's better. Uh, uh, financially, even though there still are too many poor people and all this stuff, but, but we are, most of us, doing better than our parents did and certainly way better than our grandparents did, most of us, right? 
because things have just advanced in the West in so many different ways, except, Friedman says, in the area of mental health. Of, 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 we are the most anxious that we've ever been. Like this, this generation come up, coming up, I mean, it's, it's epidemic proportions. You know, the, 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 the 15 to the 30 set, that generation suffers from more anxiety than any other generation before it. And so with all these advances, we're, we're taking steps, massive steps back in, in, in uh, mental health, in, in relational health, because those two are linked. And, and so Friedman in his writing, uh, as a psychiatrist, came up with some things that we're going to see uh, parallels with what God says in his word. Hmm. Amazing that scientists would discover the truths of God in there. He says, you know, one of the reasons that we're anxious and so easily offended and so easily divided is because the world is conditioned for reactivity. They just they react quickly. Don't think, go fast, assume the worst, take offense, fire off that angry response. I, uh, I, I've experienced this firsthand in my own life, I'm sure you have too. Ever had to come back and apologize for your initial assessments of some situation? I thought this, and so I acted like this, and my bad. It's because you were reactionary. Instead of slowing down long enough to assess things correctly, you just went. I was riding in the back of a, of a church bus. This is back in the day when those existed. Maybe they still do. But uh, now we would ride the church bus to, to youth retreats and stuff like that. My sister, Kirsten, uh, is a year older than me. We're like I Irish twins. Is that a thing? I don't know. She's like 11 months older than me, and uh, we're not Irish. Anyway, uh, but she's, uh, she's one of them, you know, at the time, we, we had a great relationship, still do, we're good friends, would love to laugh, she could make me laugh, and still can, like, you know, a few other people, she's just hilarious, and so we're in the back of this bus with all of her friends, we're laughing and joking, she, she, she is so tickled by something that's said that she just goes to swing and hit her knee, and she misses her knee, and she hits me, who was sitting right across from her in the place that guys don't like to get hit, and before I knew what was happening, I felt the pain, and my first reaction was to ball my fist and swing. And I punched my sister hard right here, broke her glasses, cut her nose. And, and it, it all happened in an instant, right? And we're both sitting across from each other, this, this, these family members who love each other. And we're both kind of like, oh, from the pain, but we're both saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry, right? Because she didn't mean to hit me, and I didn't know what I was, you know, really doing when I swung, but I was reminded of every time I saw her that weekend because the black eye and the cut on the nose, oh, I'm so sorry. But that's the human condition, is when I'm hurt, I swing. I don't think, I don't process, I react. Friedman says it's a problem. He goes on and he says this, People have real problems in owning their part of the mess. They love to blame others. I know that's not you. Yes, it is. You ever been to that lunch, maybe with some coworkers, maybe with some friends at school or something like that, but uh, there's someone who's not there and they become the subject of the conversation and they just get dressed down. Like this coworker, if this coworker wasn't on our team, we would have been done that project three weeks ago. They're holding everything back and, and everybody just piles on, Right? He's not there to defend himself, let's go. Or maybe it's the girl, you know, in the group who's, oh, she just ruins every party we go to, you know, and, and they just pile on. You know what I've never been a part of? Is that same lunch table, that same group of people, and everybody's sitting down saying, you know what, 
this project isn't going well, I'd like to enumerate all the things that I've done to cause its failure. Let me own my part of this. Have you had that conversation with anybody? Nope. You know why? Because humans don't do that. It is, I've never seen it. Humans don't sit down and say, you know what? I could have done better with this. No. We don't like pointing the finger at ourselves. We love, 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 love pointing the finger at other people. In fact, if they could get their stuff together, we'd be fine. We tell ourselves that lie all the time. Now, I'm not saying that other people aren't wrong. I've already said people are jerks. <laughs> I'm sure they got a part in this. But things aren't going to get solved in relationships or in rifts if you and I don't own our side and deal with that part. I'm amazed by the number of people who come to me and say, I got a problem in my relationship, and they expect me to somehow, you know, uh, sprinkle some, you know, unicorn dander or something like that and make the other person change. They're not here. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. So, okay, yeah, they're a hot mess. They're a human. They're like the rest of us. That's their stuff. What's going on with you? This is probably why I don't score well on those relationship tests. People love to blame others. They want a quick fix. We live in an age of instant gratification. We're not used to waiting. We got microwaves now. Now, some of us are old enough to remember where there was no internet and to be around at the beginning of the internet when it was dial-up. Does anybody remember dial-up? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. There's the noise, yeah. For those of you who are kind of, you know, instantly on whatever you want to be on because you say, hey, Siri, and it shows up, there was a time where you had to actually plug your computer into the phone line, and then you'd have to wait for the modem to be able to talk to whatever was on the other end of that thing, uh, and, and things. And, and I remember, do you remember waiting for pages to load? I remember, like, reading the, you know, I, I love reading sports articles and stuff like that. I would read the article as it appeared. And, and most of the time, I would read faster then my computer would load the page. And some of us were like, oh, the golden age. I'm so thankful that I live in it now. But here's one of the side effects of everything being so, is that we just don't like to suffer. We don't like to wait for anything. And, and so when it comes to uh, this human condition of reaction and blame, um, we, we want our judgments to be fast. And, and our assessments to be, you know, final. And so people are canceled in our hearts <laughs> and on our computers or in culture uh, because we just go and we want the instant gratification of instant vengeance, of instant justice. So says me. And we make mistakes in that all the time. Raise your hand if you've ever read a situation wrong, went super fast, caused more problems because you were super fast and wanted the immediate whatever of that closure that you thought you were getting and then had to backpedal and be like, oh, I, is there anybody else that's done that? Yeah. Yeah, not you. Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> this is Tony, everyone. He's perfect. Anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> the last thing that Friedman brings out that I'll, I'll bring out in our talk is the lack of differentiation. It's a psychological term. He basically says um, people have a hard time um, seeing the forest for the trees because they get into the mix, they get into the fray, and because they're reactive and because uh, uh, they love to blame others and, and like to stay there because they want the quick fix and the satisfaction of immediate vengeance, they just 
uh, you know, do that uh, over and over again. It's like, you know, it's like, Okay, that's the Macarena. For those of you who are just landing on the planet, you do that at weddings, everybody lines up and they know the moves, right? And that's what we do in life. We just settle into the dance. And we, you know, turn and do it, you know, and, and, and we just, we, we can't, pull ourselves out of things enough to be able to correctly assess what's going on because we're just used to doing it this way. And off we go. The ability of differentiation is being able to pull out of that situation and wisely assess it. Ask the right questions. Remain calm. Has anybody ever been in that situation where a crisis has happened? You, you know, uh, uh, the firemen have been called or the ambulance and the EMTs are there. The policemen have shown up. And, and if they're doing their job right, this is their training. Don't get emotional. Stay above the fray. If everybody else is going crazy, chicken little, hair on fire, you're the one that brings calm to those situations. My father-in-law was in a, a, just a small, minor uh, bicycle accident. I talked about it a few months ago. If you don't remember, don't bother. But uh, uh, he just, you know, he fell off his bike. He had a, a cut on the back of his head. They sent every fire truck and ambulance. There was people from my neighborhood, you know, calling me and calling Eleanor and calling my neighbor, and everybody's doing everything they can. And, and you walk up, and everybody else is like, oh, is he okay? Is he okay? And here's the EMTs, uh, led by this one guy who goes to our church. He's just, he's kind of the boss over all of them. He's just kind of standing there. He's seen a million of these. And he's just like, yeah, he's going to be okay. Here, here's, what, here's what we need. Can you help him answer these questions so these guys can give him better, you know, care? And, 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 and I marvel at that. But that's what God hopes for us. When, when potential offenses come our way, slow down. Pull back. See things differently. Rabbi Friedman, uh, probably a scholar of the Old Testament scriptures, maybe he's never read what James wrote in his letter. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He gives us the reason why. For the anger of man, the offense and the offensiveness of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's why um, you, you, you seek by God's grace to not be um, all mouth and no ears, to not be short-fused. It's pretty simple. If you are those things, you're going to miss his way in life. And just so we're clear, if you're following Jesus, that's what we're looking for. More listening, less talking, slow down. Because anger and offense are incompatible with God and his righteousness. Let me close with these ideas as we open this series. Let me encourage us. First of all, I want you to know it's possible, even in the hardest relationships, in the, in the, in the situations where you think this is you know, least likely, it is impossible, or excuse me, it is possible, sorry, <laughs> for us to choose, first of all, to be unoffensive. You and I have that choice. Isn't that great? We talk about grace all the time. Isn't it cool that God gives us the grace to not be who we were and to be like him instead? So awesome. He commands it, but he enables it. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to that church and he says this, hey, 
Fellas, let no corrupting, and ladies, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up uh, as fits the occasion of others, that it may give grace to those who hear. It's a command. But if it's commanded, here's what uh, another part of Scripture says, that there's no temptation common to man that you and I uh, can't overcome because Jesus has overcome them all. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he did it. And because he did it and he's in us, we can do it. So you and I can choose to be unoffensive. You and I can choose to be unoffendable. Some of you are offended by that, I know. But it's true. We can, even in those situations where this dance has been going on for a long time, this person has been our oppressor over and over again. They know our buttons, they push them on the regular. By God's grace, We can overcome the sin instinct in us to be angry and bitter, to seek vengeance. And we can instead love that person and be an agent of peace in that relationship. Paul writes later in that same chapter of Ephesians, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ or as God in Christ forgave you. It's possible. If he commands it, he'll enable it. And by God's grace, we can see it happen in our lives. Now, I'll be talking more about this in the weeks to come, but let me start with this. Uh, certainly uh, in line with what Scripture says, first and foremost, and then even in line with what Friedman discovered in his studies, uh, here's what God hopes for all of us when it comes to offense, when it comes to the temptation to be offensive, (laughs) he first and foremost wants us to slow down. How do you live life? Fast? Some of you are like, yeah, it's the only way to do it. Let's get it all in. Let's suck the life out of every day. I'm I'm not talking about carpe diem or anything like that. I'm just talking about wisdom. Going slow. There's a uh, series of articles that some theologian who I forgot the name of wrote. It's called Jesus at Three Miles Per Hour. Funny title, right? But it just makes light of the fact or or brings light to the fact that Jesus walked everywhere he went. The average speed of uh, human walking is three miles per hour. And it goes on to explain, apparently, uh, uh, how Jesus just took life slow. You know, I, I was reading in another place this week, and someone did a study of the number of times that Jesus was asked a question. They came up with 183 different questions that Jesus was asked in the Gospels. I don't know if that's correct, but I'm going to guess it's around there, okay? But then they said, how many times do you think he gave a quick answer or even any answer to any of those questions? You want to guess? You can fit it on one hand. 180-something questions, and he answered three of them. You know what he almost always did? He answered a question with a question. It's one of my favorite things about our Savior. He just wasn't going to be suckered in. They weren't going to get a reaction on him. That's what they, I mean, the people who were against him, that was their mission. Offend him and get him to say something that they could hold against him in life. And Jesus just wouldn't fall for it. He just, they'd ask him a question, he'd be like, oh, that's interesting. What about this? And here's a question for you. And he just refused to be sucked into the dance because he, he went slow. I mean, think about what he suffered for us. We just talked about it a couple weeks ago, Friday. 
beaten, whipped, nailed to a cross, and never once reacted like you and I would have reacted in the same situation. Humbly, like a lamb to slaughter, he wouldn't take offense. Oh, that you and I would go slow like Jesus. Oh, that you and I would lower our expectations. Listen, we love ourselves. We expect everybody else to love us like we love ourselves. And when they don't, when they don't hit our expectations, that's where the problems start. How dare you cut in front of me in my lane of traffic? This is my road. This is my world. I'm the king of the world. Yeah. uh, Love me like I love me. We expect so much of people and so little of ourselves. We're the ones who, when we mess up, we want all the grace we can get. Forgive me. Uh, Accept me. Uh, The broken and and failed person that I am. But we, we won't extend that grace to other people. Oh, okay. If you're, uh, if you're in the habit of, of being just incredulous that someone would do something that they did, let me just take the bite out of that for you. People are the worst. You're the worst. Quit being surprised that someone has offended you or done something that would be offensive to you. Instead of being offended, say, right there with you, brother. There but for the grace of God go I, and let me extend to you the grace that I would hope to receive and hope to receive in actuality when I go and do the same thing that you've just done. Lower your expectations. And the final thing is this. People are getting phone calls. It's lunchtime. Understand that offense is a weight that you carry. It's just this this burden this thing that's ready to pop off in you at any moment. It's a stressful way to live. If you're constantly offended by things, you're just, you're just constantly waiting to be ridden with emotions and, and angry and bitter and what a horrible way to live. This weight that we carry is like this rock. And the last thing I want you to remember is to drop the rock. Jesus in John chapter 8 is just minding his own business. A bunch of guys come to them with this woman that they found in adultery. They've caught her in adultery. I don't know where the guy was, but they caught her. And as uh, was, you know, the, uh, the custom and the law of the time in, in Israel, if someone was caught in adultery, you would pick up big rocks like this and throw it at them until they're dead. I don't know if you've ever th- thought of stoning. I hope you don't. Spent a lot of time on that, but like, uh, it wasn't like little itty bitty rocks, like, you know, maybe like the rock that David had in his sling. It was big ones like this, right? And people would all stand around with these rocks and they'd throw it like a soccer throw in and, and they maybe could dodge like two or three of them. But if one of them hit the guy, they'd go down and then everybody would pick their back rock back up and they'd just keep throwing them at him until they were gone. Enjoy lunch. <laughs> this is the picture that uh, Jesus is faced with, a bunch of guys who, by the way, were offended. Offended at the sin of this woman. How dare she go against the standards of God? She deserves 
wrath, and we're just the guys for it. Jesus, what do you think? Should we do it? That's what the law commands. Remember what he said? Didn't say much, actually, to start. He just kind of bends over, starts writing some stuff in the sand. And then he looks at him and he says this one sentence. Okay, guys. Whoever among you is without sin, you go first. And I'm picturing all these guys. They'd been in stonings before. They were ready. They knew their part, right? And they're all set to go, right? And then Jesus says that. And you got to know that it wasn't just that one sentence. It was the Holy Spirit. It was, the, it was the power of God himself affecting the hearts and the minds of these dudes, these angry Jewish men, and bringing to the fore all of the things that they knew they were guilty of, perhaps of the same sin that this woman was guilty of. And for whatever reason, they all thought better of it. And they dropped the rock. And I don't know who I'm talking to in here, but someone walks around in life in this room just holding that rock, just ready to pounce on any possible offense, any possible, um, you know, work or word of anybody that would seek to get the best of me. I'm entitled! If that's you... Let me remind you of our message. There is none righteous. Not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not saying that we throw out our standards. I'm saying that we, like Jesus, are patient with the people who fail. And we drop the rock and we extend the grace that we've been given in life. We've got so much to learn in this. I've got so much to learn in this. But I'm confident that God wants his people to be the least offensive and the hardest to offend in the world. Because when we do those things, we look like Jesus and people can see him, desire him, and follow him. So may God give us the grace in that. you stand with me as we close? Lord, thanks. Thanks uh, for overlooking um, the, the myriad of ways that we offend you. You don't overlook them, but you sent Jesus to die for them and we're forgiven of them because of him. Thanks for loving us despite them and is seeking to reconcile things with us even uh, when we don't seek you. Lord, help us to be peacemakers uh, wherever possible. We, may we um, just bring about, you know, the the goodness and the love and, and the peace um, that your son has given us. Grant us that you're, yeah, in our lives, Father. Grant us uh, your patience. Grant us with, with your grace for others. This is my prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do better, people. God bless you. No offense, but God bless you.